Welcome to the Transformation Church Podcast, where we're leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you a fresh perspective on God and His Word so you can see transformation in your own life. Enjoy the message. Have you ever been to a movie before that you have already seen and you've gone with somebody else and you know that something is coming up in the movie, whether it's exciting or scary, and and you kind of like don't really tell them because you want them to experience the moment on their own, like anybody ever? Um, well, that's what's happening today because I know what's coming in this message and uh, I'm telling you, it's going to be good stuff today as we take a look at uh, God's word and we unpack um, a... Um, a little bit of teaching around this idea of the tribulation. Hey, um, let me see, how many of you have uh, dogs at home? Anybody have dogs? Any dog lovers in the room? Um, yeah, we've got a dog. I want to introduce you to, um, to our dog. Uh, her name is Trixie. And um, uh, don't even ask how she got her name. Um, don't. Don't give the kids a chance to name your dog or you're going to get a, a name like Trixie. But uh, Trixie here is, uh, she turns 11 years old uh, next month and um, Yellow Lab and uh, uh, she's a little bit off. Trixie's a little off. The, um, uh, the vet tells us that her family tree doesn't fork. Anybody know what that means? It means they bred her a little bit too close. So uh, Trixie's not your normal yellow lab. She doesn't really like to be around people. Uh, she doesn't like to cuddle a whole lot. If uh, new people come over, she barks and acts crazy and growls at them. And so she's, she's a little, she's a little, we call a little cray cray, you know. Um, but there's something that Trixie absolutely loves to do. Trixie loves to play fetch. Any other dogs? Any, any of you got dogs that love to play fetch? And so she's got the little tennis ball, right? And uh, we'll go in the backyard and, um, and you throw the tennis ball and she takes off running, gets it, brings it back. And I'm telling you what, this dog at almost 11 years old will wear my arm out. Like you would think that her heart's going to explode and she's going to die and go to doggy heaven just from running and getting the ball. And so when I get exhausted, when I, like after three throws and I don't want to throw anymore, right? Um, when I get exhausted, I have to create or do this clever act of deceit in order to trick her with the ball. So here's what I'll do. I'll go out in the backyard. She'll bring the ball back. And I'll act like I've thrown the ball, right? And like the dog, she just takes off running to get the tennis ball. And then I take the tennis ball and I put it in my back pocket. And then she kind of walks all over the place and she, she, she'll be out there and she'll flip her head back and she'll look at me, you know, and I'm like, I don't know where it is, like you, you know. And, uh, and then she'll just kind of roam around a little bit. And then at that point, I will ask her, I'll use the keyword. Uh, that works really well in our house, and that is, do you want to treat, right? Do you want to treat? And then all of a sudden, she forgets about the tennis ball, and she comes running inside, and I give her a treat, and, and we go on with life as we know it. But there's something about that, like as far as me acting like I'm throwing the ball, and her getting confused at where it is, and coming back and forgetting about it, this act of deceit 
that is really happening in our world around us today. You see, this idea of deception is when somebody causes us to believe something as if it's true when it's really false, right? To believe something as if it's true when it's really false. And I would say you don't have to be much of a rocket scientist to know that we are living in an age of deception. Now, I find it interesting in Scripture, in Matthew 24, that the disciples come up to Jesus, and the disciples have this question. They say, Jesus, what sign should we be looking for to know that your return is near? And when Jesus responds to them, he doesn't say uh, prophetic words are going to be happening. He doesn't say wars. He doesn't say persecution. Jesus says, look for deception. And today, as we're beginning to land the plane, next week is our, our last week of this Space Between series. Today, what I want to do is I want us to take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want to shine some light today on the author of deception. We're going to talk today about the Antichrist. Hey, today's your first time you're like, what did I just walk into today? We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to shed some light on the tribulation and the Antichrist to help us to not become victims of deceit. I've entitled today's message, Not Today, Satan. How about that? Not Today, Satan. Not today. Hey, grab your Bible. Turn with uh, me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And so we've been in this journey looking at the first and second, the two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to uh, this new group of believers in what we've been calling T-Town because I can't pronounce the city very well. And so he's writing this second letter to address a situation that really is, is eerily similar to the situations that we find ourselves in today. You see, somebody had been deceiving the believers in T-Town by passing around this phony letter as if Paul had written it when he had not. Now, I want you to kind of think of it this way, that, that you know, in the first century, this is Paul writing a letter. What it could look like today in our time is social media, right? And so here's what's happening. They are, they're passing around this phony letter as if it's from Paul. And this letter is, is trying to convince them that the rapture has already taken place and that these new believers are now finding themselves in the tribulation, And this first century social media post is creating a ton of confusion in T-Town. Now, the reason why the Apostle Paul feels like he's got to bring some clarity to all this confusion is because he understands that confusion that isn't anchored in biblical truth will always lead people away from Jesus. Confusion that is not anchored in biblical truth. 
The idea is we're all going to experience confusion in our life. But when we try to find clarity for our confusion separate from the word of God, it will always lead us away from Jesus. I mean, look at the world around us. It is playing out before our very eyes. I mean, people having sex changes, people saying men can now have babies, right? This idea of you have your truth and I have my truth. And as long as you stay kind of solid to your truth and I stay with my truth, then then it's all good. And you have this, this confusion that is not anchored in biblical truth, and it begins to lead people further and further away from Jesus. I want you to look at the screens with this statement. Confusion leads to deceit when it's not anchored in biblical truth. Confusion leads to Deceit, you're thinking, oh, I'm not deceived. I'm not, like nobody ever deceives me. I can, I can think it through. Well, if you are confused about something and you're not finding clarity from the word of God, then ultimately it's gonna lead you away from Jesus. And Paul knows this. Paul understands the severity of the moment. And so he pins this part of the letter that we find in 2 Thessalonians chapter and he's going to help he's going to help these believers understand that no they are not in the tribulation and he's going to he's going to provide some clarity around the end times and what they can expect. And so here's what he says in verse 1. He says, "Now dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things." Right? A little bit of confusion in the camp. Let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we're going to be gathered to meet him. He says, don't be so easily shaken. This word shaken in the original language is kind of interesting because it was oftentimes used to describe a boat that was attached or or tethered to a dock and how in a big storm, the storm would cause the boat to be pulled away from the dock. And so Paul is telling them in this moment as he's describing and using this word of, that describes a boat, he's saying, listen, don't let yourselves be pulled from the truth of God's word so easily. He says, don't, don't allow yourself to be so rattled emotionally. He says, alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. He says, don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Now, I want to give you today, this is free advice, free pastoral advice, no charge whatsoever today, but just because someone says they heard from God for you doesn't mean they did. Is that over here? Just because somebody says they heard from God for you doesn't mean they did. 
You know, there are some filters that we can filter prophetic words through. Some of those filters for me in my life is, is it biblical, right? Can I find something in scripture that aligns with the word that is given? The second thing is, is it a confirmation word? Here's what you've got to watch out for, is never allow a word that somebody else gives you that they say is from God, that you take that word and all of a sudden reorient your entire life around it. The way the Holy Spirit works is it brings confirmation, right? If you're a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. He could speak to you. Does God use other people to speak through? Absolutely. But it would be a confirmation of something that God is already stirring within your own heart. Here's another filter I like to use. Can it be proven? Right? If somebody comes to you and they give you a prophetic word and it's so vague that at the end of the day, you won't, you won't even be able to tell whether or not it happened or didn't happen. Right? That's a filter because at the end of the day, the Bible says that we are supposed to judge the word. And how do you judge the word if there's, if there's not a clear understanding of if this word comes to pass? And then a fourth one for me is, is does, do the people that are in spiritual authority over me, do they agree? Do the mentors in my life, like maybe you've got some mentors in your life, or maybe it's a pastor that's leading the area that, that you volunteer in, do they, can they hear the word and can they say that, that my spirit aligns with what is being spoken? So a few filters there. So at the end of the day, just because someone gives you a word that they say is from God, doesn't mean they did it. All right? Paul goes on and he says this in verse three. He says, don't be fooled by what they say. He says, and we're going to talk about how to not be fooled here in a little bit, but I want you to see this. He says, for that day, and he's speaking here, not of the rapture, he's speaking here of the second coming. I'm going to unpack that here in just a second. Will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the one who brings destruction, speaking of the Antichrist. Verse four says that he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God, which many theologians say that there is gonna be a rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem and that the Antichrist is actually in the midst of the middle of the tribulation is going to sit in the holy of holies, claiming that he himself is God. Now I want to, I want to bring out of retirement, um, that little diagram that, uh, I did a few weeks ago. I want to bring that out of retirement and kind of help, um, clarify what Paul is describing here in this moment. And so for those of you that weren't here, I'll give you the two-minute crash course. So here is the present church age right there. That is where we are living today. 
This is the age of grace, which means we're not going to get perfect, but we can come humbly before the Lord and we can ask for forgiveness. We can invite him into our life that we can experience eternity in heaven because of the grace and the mercy of God, right? But then the Bible says, and we've talked about this, the Bible says here, the rapture is going to take place. At some point, Scripture says that the rapture, Jesus is coming back. The rapture is when the dead in Christ, right, will rise. And then those that are still alive, that are in Christ, will be caught up, pulled away. And what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, that 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 rapture is going to come unexpectedly. You remember that for a few weeks ago, that it's going to be like a thief in the night. In other words, it's really important that you understand that, that the teaching that talks about, hey, these events have to take place before Jesus comes back is not speaking of the rapture. It's speaking of the second coming of Christ. Because the Bible says, talks about this being the imminent return of Christ, that it happens like a thief in the night that it comes unexpectedly. It's not something that we can anticipate, right? It's not something that we can check off a bunch of boxes because this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. And so the rapture is about to take place. Like I used to think that back in the day. And so what I would do is I would just kind of keep an eye on the news because I was thinking, as soon as the last box is checked, I'm going to ask Jesus into my heart and I'll be good. And it don't work that way. Don't work that way. The Bible says that the rapture happens, that it's unexpected, right? Like a thief in the night. Then you see over here the second coming of Christ. You'll see in between is the tribulation, the seven-year time of tribulation. Now, the second coming of Christ, the first coming was what? When Jesus came as a baby in a manger, right? The suffering servant, the one that laid down his life for you. But there is a second coming of Christ where Jesus comes back with the armies of heaven and he's no longer a suffering servant, he's a conquering king. And then you see the millennial reign of Christ and the final judgment and the new earth The new heaven and the new earth, I'm not going to go into all that because that's not in our text today. But I I want you to see that what Paul is talking about here in verses 3 and 4 is this period of time right here in the tribulation. Go to the next. We're going to zoom into the tribulation period. So here's what he says. He says there's going to be a a tribulation that's going to last seven years. Jesus referred to this period of time in Matthew 24 when he said this, that it's going to be a trouble on a scale beyond what the world has ever seen or ever will see. That after Jesus comes in the rapture and the church leaves, the believers leave, it is going to be a release of evil like this world has never seen. Trust me, you don't want to be around when that happens. And it's going to be seven years. 
And what Paul says is that there is going to be a great rebellion that takes place. All right, this word in the original language is the word apostasy. And what it means is, is it means that it is a moving away, a turning away from a previous held position. He's not speaking of unbelievers because they didn't have a position. He's speaking that there is going to be a period of time where people, right, who have maybe prayed a prayer, they raised their hand, they prayed a prayer, they grew up in church, whatever, is going to to move away from what they've known, the truth of what they've known, and they're going to follow their own selfish desires. And what the Bible teaches is that there is this great rebellion begins right? Before the rapture, we begin to sense this rebellion and we see it today, right? You see it today. Like you see it in our our culture, in our nation. You see this moving away from a previous held position, right? Away towards selfishness, towards my own truth, towards whatever makes me happy, right? It's the beginning of this great rebellion, if you wondered, is Jesus, is it close? Is it the last days? Well, I don't know, but I can tell you that there is a lot of great rebellion that's happening right now in our country as we move further and further away from the truth of God's word. What Paul then says is that as the rapture happens and the believers in the church leave and the tribulation starts, that this rebellion is going to grow more and more. Now, I personally kind of think that the reason why the rebellion grows more and more is because you're going to have you're going to have a bunch of people that thought they had punched their ticket to heaven. You're going to have a bunch of people that are going to say, "Well, I went to church back in 2018 and I raised my hand on an altar call, and the pastor led me in a prayer, and I prayed the prayer. And so I should, I should not be here. <laughs> and there's going to be this uproar of, of anger. There's going to be this uproar of disdain towards God because people have been deceived right? Deceived in thinking that they could receive the gift of salvation without giving God the gift of their heart and their life. And there's going to be this great rebellion. And I think Jesus kind of talks a little bit of, it's kind of like, you can call it like, like people that identify as Christians, right? Like if you do a poll in a about America, there's going to be probably 50% that say identify as Christians. But then when you begin to look at how many go to church and how many are letting the Lord be the leader of their life, and you begin to dig into all of that, it's not 50%. And so Jesus makes this statement in Matthew chapter 7. He says, listen, Many on that day. And when you dig into that word many, it means majority. That doesn't necessarily mean 95%. It could mean 51%. It 
But Jesus says, many will say to me on that day. And what are they going to say? They're going to say, did we not prophesy in your name? And did we not cast out demons? And did we not perform miracles? And did we not go to church twice a month? And did we not do that outreach? And did we not do a bunch of good deeds for, for people that didn't have a whole lot of stuff? Like, didn't I lead that small group? And Jesus says in verse 23, he says, then I'm going to tell them plainly, depart from me because I never knew you. I mean, this is a heavy period of time in the end times. And the Bible says that at the same time of this great rebellion, that there is also a great outpouring of God's spirit. You know, some will say that, that the Bible says that there is this great revival that happens before the rapture. But if you really dig into scripture, that great outpouring of the spirit isn't something that happens before the rapture. It's something that happens during the tribulation. Because the believers that thought they had their ticket punched that are now stuck in the tribulation, they're navigating their own journey. But then there is an outpouring of the Spirit in this time where there are people that were left behind that come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. Jesus talked about that in Matthew 24 as well, talking about the gospel going to the ends of the world. Don't think that he's saying that it's going to the ends of the world before the rapture takes place. That is something before the second coming of Christ that happens. And then Paul says in verse three and four that it's during this tribulation period that the Antichrist, and the Bible says that he's already at work in our midst, that the spirit of the Antichrist is already here but when the, when the rapture takes place and the believers leave, what it says is that it, the Antichrist who is now hidden will become revealed. And I, I like to kind of think of it like this, like I'm not really a fisherman kind of guy, but there's, I, I don't know anybody that wants to go catch fish that will put a hook in the water with no bait on it. I mean, you're not going to catch a whole lot of fish that way. And so what happens is you put bait on the hook so the fish sees the bait and bites down and then realizes on the other side of the bait, there's a hook. And this is what's happening behind the scenes as the spirit of the Antichrist, who is at work, hidden, has got that little bait in the hook, right? And, and people are chomping down on it, on chomping down on it, but there will come a time after the rapture where the Bible says, and we'll get to that in a second, where the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit of God steps to the side, evil is released, and people began to see what was on the other side of the bait. And so Paul goes on and he says, in verse five, he says, to these believers, he says, don't you remember? <laughs> he says, don't you remember that I told you about all this stuff? Like, come on. He says in verse six, and you know what is holding him back, speaking of the Antichrist, 
for he can be revealed only when his time comes. Now watch what happens at verse seven. It says, for this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. I don't know what you think, but that's a crazy statement to me. You see, in the church age, the Holy Spirit is present in the world and present in the heart of believers. But once the rapture takes place and the tribulation begins, the Holy Spirit does this number and steps to the side. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 24 that it's going to be a trouble on earth that is beyond what the world has ever seen or will see again. And when the Holy Spirit steps aside, Paul says in verse 8, that then the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, he's going to be revealed. The Antichrist who was once hidden at work in our midst secretly is going to be revealed. And then there's this word, and I, I love this word, the word but. Now, Andrea is out of town today and uh, doing wedding dress shopping with, with our niece. Um, but if you know us all that well, you'll know that she grew up in church and I didn't. And so she's kind of more on the traditional side, and I'm more on the very opposite, like let's push the boundaries, right? And so I've been wanting to do a sermon series. I've been wanting to do a sermon series for several years called The Big Butts of the Bible. I'm like, babe, no, it'd be awesome. Like, man, it'd be such an awesome series. And she's like, no, no. And I keep like every, every like so often, I keep throwing that, like I'm sensing the Lord, babe, saying big butts of the Bible, big butts of the Bible. She's like, no, I don't hear the Lord saying that. You know, she's like, use your four filters. <laughs> I'm thinking like, you go to all the different stories and passages where, where their life was headed down one path, but God, right? Just makes sense. Like, and this is a but God moment here with Paul. And he's saying the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed, but he says, but the Lord Jesus is going to slay him. I love that word, slay him. Like, makes me think of a video game. Now watch this, with the breath of his mouth. Friend, he's not saying that God's got bad breath. That's not what's being said right here. And destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Woo! Can you imagine? Thank God we ain't gonna have to be here in that moment, but that, that's a moment. That's the moment in Revelation 19.20 that spoke of when Satan and the Antichrist are thrown into 
the lake of fire forever. Friend, I think it's so cool that the same breath that created the universe as we know it and the same breath that breathed life into you and me is the same breath that speaks to Satan and the Antichrist in that moment and says, not today. Not today, Satan. And then Paul tells them that in the tribulation in verse 9, he says that this man against, again, the Antichrist, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles, that he'll use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. And then the next few words of what Paul says, he kind of shows how to avoid becoming a victim of deceit. And he shows us by helping us see what is going to be missing in those people's lives. He says this, because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's hard to spot a counterfeit if you don't know what the real thing looks like. And Paul's like, listen, if you're going to avoid becoming a victim of deceit in the last days. You've got to love and you've got to accept the truth that'll save you. Now, Paul doesn't just kind of throw out a couple careless words of love and accept. Paul uses the word agape for the word love. That's the word that demonstrates the kind of love that Jesus had for you and I when he laid down his life. It's the kind of love that is based on a choice, not a feeling. It's the kind of love that is self-sacrificing for the benefit of other people. That it's the kind of love that's demonstrated not with a bunch of flowery words, but with action. That it perseveres through the most difficult of times because it's the kind of love that's anchored in something that doesn't change. And then he says, not only do you have to to love the truth, the word of God in that kind of way, but you've got to also accept it. Now, this word's interesting in the original language because it's the word that was often used when people would welcome guests into their homes. So you've got this, this idea of what Paul is saying, that when we love God's word and we do it unconditionally, no matter how we feel, no matter if it goes against what we want in our life, that when we love his word that way and when we welcome the correction of his word in our lives and we do it unashamedly, that we welcome that, that we will avoid being deceived in the last days. And then Paul shares two of the scariest verses in the Bible as he reveals the consequences of not living life this way. He says in verse 11, so God will cause them to be greatly deceived. And they will believe these lies, the lies of the Antichrist, and then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. 
Guys, I want to share with you really quick three things that I think God is challenging us with today. Three challenges to three different groups of people that are in this room. And the first challenge is to believers. Like if you're in the room today and you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and and you're allowing him to lead your life, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you get everything right all the time. But it means at the end of the day, he's your leader, not you. And if that's you, I believe God's challenge to you with the, what Paul is talking about is this simple word, invite. Invite. At the end of the day, I think what God would say to those of us that are followers of Christ is this, I want your heart to break for the things that break my heart. That I want you to live your life to reach lost people. That you have been given a free gift and that you have experienced the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in your lives, not to hold it to yourself but to share it with the world around you. And guys, that's why we launched this campaign this year, the Each One Reach One, to try to refocus ourselves so that we're not living life just about ourselves and going about our own business, but we're beginning to broaden our scope of vision to be used by God to be able to reach those that don't know Christ. And I'm going to tell you what, you have a perfect opportunity to do that in a few weeks. In a few weeks, we're going to be kicking off our At The Movie series. This series is like, it's modern day parables, like Jesus taught in parables in scripture. And modern day parables today are movies. And we're going to take modern day parables and we're going to show little clips and there's going to be teachings in between the clips. And every Sunday is a different movie for four weeks. And we're going to be using these as modern day parables to preach biblical truth. And it's the perfect opportunity for you in this room who are followers of Christ to, to have a heart of Christ, to, to invite people to come experience all that Jesus has to offer. But then there's another challenge. There's another challenge to another group of people in the room. And, and this is the group of people that Paul talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. These are the disobedient believers. I know that's strong language, but here's, here's what it is. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 7 through 8, Paul said that he's going to come with his mighty angels and flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God, unbelievers, and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, this is the group of people that may be around church. They may do good things in their life. They may have even prayed a prayer a few times in their journey of life, but they are the ones leading their own life. Like at the end of the day, you've received this gift, but you go out these doors and you live your life for yourself. 
for your own dreams, making your own decisions. God becomes just like a compartment, like on a, on a, on a Thanksgiving plate, right? That's got all the different compartments and, and God has one compartment on that plate and everything else is yours. And I think the word that, the challenge that God would have for you today is the challenge to obey. The challenge for you to reprioritize and reorient your life and to to invite the leading of the Holy Spirit so that that you, you get direction from him and you follow. Instead of you like chasing all these paths in your road and then you go back to God when things don't work out, I think God's challenge to you today would be, why don't you get with me first? And why don't you surrender your life? Why don't you completely give of yourself and let me order your steps? These are the ones who will ultimately, what Paul says, fall away in the time of tribulation because they thought that believing in God was good enough. Like I can mentally assent to the fact that God is is real. Jesus said in scripture that even demons believe. Like there's not special about believing that there is a God. What becomes special in our life is when we lay down our life and we give God our heart and our mind the direction. And then I think God would challenge one more group in this room today. I think this challenge would be to those of you that are here that have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I think his challenge to you would be, trust me. Trust me with your heart. Trust me with your life. Friend, there's only one way to escape the horrific ending in the end times and it's not through believing in God but it's in trusting in God and ultimately watch this ultimately making him the leader of your life Is this a heavy word today? Yes. But it's a real word. Friend, I think it's a, it's a warning not to create fear, but to help us understand that this world that we live in and this life that we live It's not just 70 or 80 or 90 years and then we're done. But we are all a part of the story that God is writing. And he's writing a story in your heart and in your life. The only way for you to 
receive and experience all that God has for you is to invite him in your heart, but then make him the leader of your life. At this time, would you bow your head and close your eyes and prayer team, if you would make your way to the prayer stations. A couple months ago, We felt prompted to create these little stations in the the back corners of the room. Stations where you could go and you could receive prayer. But one one of the motivators of these stations was this tension that was in my own heart that we would have these moments in service and, and I would lead people in a salvation prayer and they would pray a prayer and they would walk out these doors and nothing in their life would change. And I had this just holy discontent because I'm like, what if these people think that they've punched the ticket and they haven't? And how am I stewarding their souls well those moments and so we've created these stations so that if you feel like the Lord is stirring in your heart to take a step whether it's to whether it's salvation for the first time or whether you find yourself like you believe in God but you know your heart is in all this other stuff and and you recognize that today is like you need to hit the reset button in your spiritual life But instead of playing it safe and praying a little prayer and walking out and nothing changing, that sometimes it takes a step of courage to begin to break the chains that hold you back. And so in this moment, I want you to ask our question. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? light of this message, in light of the service and this worship, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Maybe for some of you today, your heart has got to start breaking for the loss for other people. Maybe for some of you, it's it's obeying again. It's, It's surrendering your life and making God the leader of your life. Or maybe for some of you in this room today, It's to trust God. Because, friends, salvation is a posture, not just a prayer. It's a posture of our heart, not just a prayer. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? In just a moment, the worship team is going to play and sing a chorus. And we're going to stand, and I'm going to ask you, to just be respectful of the moment. And if you've got to leave for work or something, that's understandable. But if not, just hang tight for a moment. And here's what I want you to do. That if the Lord, the Holy Spirit is stirring something in your heart, maybe it's to to give your life over to Jesus, or maybe it's to recommit your life to Jesus. 
the Holy Spirit speaking that to you in this moment, when we stand, what I want you to do is I want you to make your way to one of these corners. There's plenty of prayer partners that are over there that'll pray with you and love on you. And we're just gonna go into a time of worship today. Father, we invite you into this moment. Speak to our hearts and help us to have the courage to step into the new chapter that you're writing in our lives today. Would you stand and worship with us today? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to share it with your friends and tag us at TransformTLH. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to seeing your face in the place someday. Have a great week.